0: Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain.
1: Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle.
0: And this is your host, Peter.
1: Today we are reprising the second half of our Breaking Bad special two-part episode. Yay. Covering seasons three through five, since we covered the first three, in the prior episode, so y'all can check that out. Yay. Yay. So yeah, we're just going to continue to cover some awesome songs that were played throughout the scope of the greatest show on television being Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That is inarguable, and anyone who tries to argue that will be sent to hell.
0: Just like us.
1: By Walter White. Yeah. Uh, although The Wire was pretty good, too. What's What's that terrible family guy thing? he's like, where Peter kept going around, he's like, Breaking Bad's like the best episode, best show since The Wire.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you just keep saying that
1: over and over to everybody. Yeah. So yeah, uh, what do we got to start us off for this episode, Mister Peter?
0: Well, Mister Kyle, our first song that we're going to talk about today is called "Sunshine on Me" by Buddy Stewart.
1: Let the sunshine. Let is that the song or no? No, I'm that's not sure. that's Fifth Dimension, but it's Aquarius by Fifth Dimension.
0: Oh, well, that's a good song too, but not one that we are going to talk about today. I'm sorry. Although I don't. No, if we've ever talked about it on this show, I don't, th- I don't think we have. Which seems like a terrible thing.
1: Sacrilegious, yeah. Yeah,
0: sacrilegious. So, this song "Sunshine on Me" by Buddy Stewart was featured in season three, episode six of Breaking Bad. Uh, this is when Walt and Jesse first get their gig um, to work for Gus Fring, who is a pretty big dude in the drug trade thing. And well, is happy, because now he gets to make some high-quality meth in a high-quality place, rather than fighting for his life with crazy junkies and gunslinging psychopaths.
1: Yeah, this is the—correct me if I'm wrong—this is the first episode he meets Gale?
0: Or no? Yes. Possibly, yeah.
1: Yeah, he meets Gale the first time he, that Gus takes him to the, I guess, lab he's going to be working in. Mm-hmm. And remember, Gale had that super elaborate, like, chemistry setup, and he's like, what are you doing? And then he gives him a cup of coffee, and Uh, he used that chemistry setup to make what he considered the perfect cup of coffee, (laughs) and Walt is like, this is the best coffee I've ever drank. Yeah. Why? And then Gale was like, why are we making meth? (laughs) (laughs) Thinking that they (laughs) could just start a coffee business. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. I like that little banter between them, because it kind of showed their mutual love of science.
0: Yes. And meth.
1: And meth. <laughs> what would Bill Nye the Science Guy be like on meth?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. But he would probably be freaking out about how cool that laboratory was. Probably. Because it seemed really cool. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, they have condensation breakers!
0: <laughs>
1: I can Why see god myself- god they have meth? The, gla- the glass makes my head funny shapes. <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy. Okay, I don't remember which Bill Nye episode it was, but I just remember this was really funny. It started off with Bill at like a table crying, and the narrator guy on the show is like, "Bill, what's the matter?" And he's like, "Everything's the matter." And then he he just sits up and he's like, "Because everything is matter." Like, (laughs) that's hilarious. Damn it, Bill. Oh my gosh! So they posted somewhere online the sort of I guess typed up outline for the pitch of bill nye's show Mm. it was so awesome to see like how i guess noble he wanted the show to be and not like degrade itself with like stupid stuff and i think the last bullet point in his like in the synopsis i guess when he was pitching the show Mm -hmm. was the science always comes first and we always have to have fun i'm like oh my god bill's
0: awesome that's cool it's kind of like funk radio we love science and we love to have fun the funk always comes first. The funk always comes first, and we have to have fun. We have to have funk. We... <laughs> exactly. Um,
1: so yeah, we are the Bill Nye of funk and soul music.
0: That's kind of true.
1: Instead of Bill, like, you know, the, like, the, the beginning of the show where he's like, Bill, 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 yeah. Bill. It's like, Peter, 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 Peter.
0: Okay,
1: oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> so we am I the top s- half or
0: the bottom half? I kind of want to be the bottom half.
1: Of Bill? Of Bill Nye. <laughs> What are we like two people standing on each other's shoulders to well, make no, a bill? You
0: said, you said we were we were Bill Nye, so I want to be the uh, bottom half.
1: Of course you would want to be the bottom half. <laughs> um, Alright,
0: maybe we should split it the other way, so I'm the left side and you're the right side.
1: I should be the left side because the left side is the analytical side, so I would get all of Bill's intelligence and you would get his inability to, to draw. I could BAM <laughs> Yeah, there we go.
0: <laughs> anyway, okay, but you're uh, left handed, right? I am. And I'm right handed. So that means he can be like both at the same time Ambidextrous Yeah I learned that from Bill Probably not actually I don't Anyway So we got really sidetracked there But that's why you love funk radio Um so Buddy Stewart Who made this song Sunshine on Me Was an American jazz singer Active during the mid to late 1940s He got a start at the age of 8 Singing in vaudeville And later became a member of the Snowflakes Uh Stewart joined vocal groups In the 1940s the same with orchestras of Glenn Miller and Claude Thornhill, which is pretty cool. Uh, Stewart served in the U.S. Army f- in World War II from 1942 to 44, and then afterward uh, teamed up with Dave Lambert in Gene Krupa's band in 1945 to record what is considered the first bot vocal, called "What's This." And then in the years after that, um, he also collaborated with Charlie Ventura, Kai Winding, and Charlie Barnett. Uh, tragically, Buddy Stewart was killed in a car accident in 1950 when he was just at the ripe little age of 27, which Jeez. is kind of sad. His <laughs> wife was actually left with no money, so his friends organized a benefit concert, which included artists like Ella Fitzgerald, Charlie Ventura, Lester Young, Harry Belafonte, and many others. That's impressive. So that's pretty
1: cool. That's cool to see like a bunch of big artists at the time to come together yeah. in honor of a deceased, I guess, brethren of the arts. Yeah. Didn't they do the same thing when Minnie Riperton passed away? Yeah. Yeah, made I talked an about album. that. They all came together and raised a bunch of money, and that was really sweet.
0: Yeah. and We Are The World, that's when society was dying. <laughs> so they brought the world together with the song. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that Buddy yeah. Stewart
1: guy. Is Buddy Stewart related, related to Billy Stewart? <laughs> um, I, I know he's not. I,
0: I know he's... I assume not, but... Is he
1: related to John movie? Stewart? Yeah just just every Stewart in the world is related to each other probably Stuart little and
0: that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it made me think of Billy Stewart too I know, even right? though they're not the same guy sadly
1: yeah speaking of not being the same I think we should listen to a little clip of this song that was the worst segue in the history of Segways
0: well this song that you're about to listen to is not the same that segue as... was talking so. that
1: Segway killed more people than actual Segways
0: that's probably true.
1: <laughs> you know that actual Segways, like, you know the little scooter things? Yeah. They, like, had to discontinue them for a while because people were dying on them.
0: Like, getting run over by them or being on, no, on? like
1: No, like, the scooters would go berserk and, like, draw, Like I think one actually drove a guy off a cliff. Oh my gosh. Not even getting.
0: Not even Who rides a Segway next to a cliff? I don't know. It was, That's like, a to it was like
1: a Segway tour of, like, the Grand
0: Canyon. <laughs>
1: That seems safe.
0: You know, okay, this is going to sound terrible. You know um, that commercial for some kind of power chair for old people? I can't remember what it's called. Rascals? No. Hover Round, I think. Are they hover chairs? <laughs> no, it's just called Hover Round because it moves around smoothly and uh. stuff. So the, the reason I remember the commercial is because at the beginning, there's this one guy sitting in one. He sings hover round takes me where i want to go where will it send me and while he's singing that it's showing all these pictures of happy old people traveling the world in these hover chairs
1: it's funny cuz it will send them all to heaven or hell
0: that's kind of true but the reason this is relevant is that one of the things they show is that these two old people sitting at the edge of the grand canyon on these hover chairs <laughs> So, I always imagine him like rolling off into the, into okay, the big void. Okay,
1: you need to you need to find that commercial, and you need to snip in right after that segment a scene from Wile E. of him falling off the cliff and just going <laughs> like a little puff of smoke at the bottom.
0: Yeah. So, funky listeners, stay away from cliffs, especially if you're in a motorized did we, thing. Did we
1: actually start listening to the song yet? because no, we, we have just not.
0: been rambling getting... for. I'm sorry. A terrible human being. <laughs> no, it's all good. Let's listen to a clip of Sunshine on Me by Buddy Stewart before we get sidetracked again. Sun, shine on me today. Sun, dry my tears away. How I need your warm embrace to shine upon my crying face. Oh, sun, shine on me today. Sun, give me a little light. That was Sunshine on Me by Buddy Stewart, not to be confused with Billy Stewart, or Stewart Little, or John Stewart.
1: <laughs> John Stewart singing soul music would probably be the most terrifying thing ever, but awesome. Yes. He recently, on an episode this week, had like an entire tirade, completely ripping Chicago-style deep-dish pizza in favor of New York-style pizza. It made me dislike him a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. He just kept saying like like deep dish pizza's not a real pizza. It's a pie. He's like when you eat a pizza, you shouldn't have a fear of drowning to death in it.
0: <laughs> Is and he just, from New York then? Yeah, yeah, he's from, okay. he's, from, he's
1: from he's from Jersey. Okay. And he just kept like for like 5 minutes just kept ripping apart the New York uh Chicago pizza saying it's not actual pizza.
0: That's kind of sad. And I wanted to kill him. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know and if you funky listeners want to tell us on our Facebook page about what kind of pizza you like better, you can
1: I like, I like soul pizza. It's got like okra and that's <laughs> about it on it.
0: I still want to try a chicken and waffles pizza. Oh god. That'd uh, probably be awesome.
1: My heart hurts just thinking about that.
0: In a good way or a bad way? I don't think your heart could ever hurt in a good way. <laughs> okay.
1: Speaking of heart hurting, I think I posted this on our funk page, but... I recently caught this documentary on Netflix called Charles Bradley, Soul of America. Oh, yeah. Um, How was it? It was like the most heart wrenching documentary I've watched in a while. And I watch a lot of mm. documentaries. I believe we actually discussed him previously on the show because he was one of the members of Daptone Records, which I know we discussed a long while back. Mm. But basically, he rose from like complete, like homeless poverty to in. 2011 having his debut album be rated one of the 50 best albums of 2011 by rolling stone magazine nice and it just completely changed his life and it's so endearing because throughout the film because he basically had like for most of his life had almost nothing Hmm. he's like the most heartwarmingly endearing and honest and genuinely loving person ever and it's so nice to see someone so deserving of Theme. Of, of yeah so deserving of their dreams being fulfilled mm, and to actually yeah. see them be fulfilled is like the sweetest thing ever but it's just so sad how many times he got shit on in life
0: that's kind of sad and
1: i totally i posted up a trailer for it on the site so you guys can uh, check on the facebook page but it's yeah. on netflix right now if any of you guys have that i'm pretty sure it actually got nominated for an oscar back in 2011 cool. when it came out Definitely a really, really good documentary, and it's about soul music, so yeah. all the better. So yeah, you guys should check that out. That's just a little me aside. included. Yeah, you need to watch it, Peter. I was, I, know. I told you this like months and months ago when I found the trailer, and then I just happened to stumble upon it on Netflix. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> so. Well,
0: I'm glad it's there. Now I can watch it. I can take it.
1: Speaking of soul artists, um, who do we have next in our list?
0: My um, next song from Breaking Bad. It's called Shimmy Shimmy all featuring Horseman by Prince Fatty.
1: Is, is Horseman just a guy that wears a horse mask?
0: Possibly, I'm not sure. Uh, this song was featured in Season 3, Episode 8. And the context of this song is when... I don't remember exactly, you may have to help me with this. Um, but for some reason, Walt has to leave the lab for like a day or two. Because to take care of something. But in the meantime, Jesse has to stay there and watch the lab, I guess. So he's really bored, dancing around, rolling around in an office chair and messing with the equipment and inflating his lab suit full of air and dancing around. Um, It's kind of a funny scene, funny Jesse moments. uh, But the song itself also sounds kind of funny. I'm not sure whether that was uh, intended by the artist or not, but uh, I think it kind of goes well with that scene. And uh, it it is probably the only uh, example in our episodes here of a reggae type song those are very prominent throughout breaking bad uh, we generally didn't pick any because we didn't really care about them as much as some of these other ones but uh, this one stood out to me and it's kind of catchy so i chose it yeah i can dig it Yeah. um so the artist prince fatty that's actually the stage name of mike Peliconi, a british record producer he has worked with a wide variety of artists and record labels, uh, from acid jazz to rock to pop to reggae and dub. That's a lot of different stuff. How this particular song in the album that's from came about is uh, in 2005, the, the clothing company Stussy Stussy Stussy. That's how much I you know about clothes. Uh, they put together a line inspired by the vivid Rudy Styles of Jamaica to commemorate the 25th anniversary and they turned to Pelanconi to create a limited edition single to compliment Um, This clothing line. He was inspired by the optimistic, laid-back vibe of Jamaica in the early 1970s, so he created an alter-ego named Prince Fatty, which is meant to be a tongue-in-cheek reference to King Tubby. And if you don't know who he is, he was a Jamaican sound engineer who was a major influencer in the development of the dub genre in the 1960s and 70s.
1: Yeah, you know, that's something I actually got confused myself. The difference between dub music and dubstep because mm-hmm. dub music was an, was basically what 1980s reggae music would evolve into. It's a, it was a slow instrumental sort of beat with a lot of bass drum and kettle drums and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And dubstep, which although it was invented in England, was actually influenced by dub because it was birthed in these sort of Jamaican uh, immigrant enclaves in mm-hmm. the poorer parts of London. Interesting. It's so, a fun fact, yeah. Cool. Sorry. Although it
0: seems to kind of evolve, evolve from that because I don't listen to it and hear any kind of Jamaican influence or anything.
1: In what? Dubstep?
0: In Dubstep, yeah.
1: You know, that's the the problem is that, like, the face of Dubstep nowadays is actually not. How do I, not, how do I say this without sounding hipster? It's not real Dubstep. In fact, like.
0: Oh, yeah, didn't it start in, true, like, the 90s or something? Yeah,
1: true Dubstep uh-huh. artists call, like, modern Dubstep, they call it Bro Step. Uh, because it was, it's basically just like loud, punchy music for like bros to drink to, punch to you know, drink to and stuff. Right. And do beer, uh, what is it? What's that? Uh, beer pong. Not that. Oh well, yeah, that too. Well, what's the thing called where they drink beer out of a funnel? Uh, shot, mm. shotgunning, stuff like whatever.
0: I don't right. know. I'm not a frat boy. You're it, a funk boy.
1: Yes. And. <laughs> Like, original dubstep, if you look up, like, artists from, like, the late 90s sounds a lot more Jamaican-influenced than, like, mm. say, Skrillex or Bass Nectar or whomever.
0: Hmm. Um, I can't
1: recall any artists off the top of my head, but,
0: yeah. I might check that out. That sounds kind of cool. Indeed. With Prince Fatty making this, uh, this single for, what do you say, Stucy. Stucy. Um. My, one of the... my coworkers workers wears that brand a lot. Okay, Uh, the instrumental track he created for Stussy was called Nina's Dance and this song was unexpectedly really successful and inspired him to create a whole album as an homage uh, to what he considered one of the most vibrant eras in Jamaican music and this album was called Survival of the Fattest Hmm. also in in the previous episode we were talking about something fatter somebody, what was that guy's name?
1: Oh McFatter
0: oh yeah, something McFatter yeah and this is Survival of the Fattest. But this is F-A-T, not P-H-A-T. Oh. Anyway, um, that album was recorded on vintage analog equipment to preserve the signature sound of reggae and dub records from the 1970s, which I thought was pretty cool. While he did draw from this style um, primarily for the music, he also kind of worked his own style into it using a bit of faster tempos and also influence from hip-hop, which had come into the music scene since the 70s, obviously, from him, for him. so. He worked a little bit of that into some of these songs, this one included. I can dig it. So let's listen to this reggae dub hip-hop-y sound from Shimmy Shimmy Yaw by Prince Fatty. And while you're listening to it, you can imagine Jesse Pinkman dancing around being and Sylvie. Shimmy Shimmy Yaw, yeah, Shimmy
1: yeah, Shimmy yeah, hey. Give me the mic and I will take you to the end. will dunking once they come for a it bust with the crazy rap on do proclaim.
0: I was Shimichimiya by Prince Fatty, featured in the Breaking Bad episode 8 of season 3.
1: So yeah, that's pretty cool. I guess moving right along here, up next we have the artist Son of Dave with his song Shake a Bone, which was featured in season 3 episode 11. Um, in this, in the context of this episode, it's kind of vague, but, uh, I just bumped into something. It's kind of, of it's kind of, it's kind of vague, but Jesse is harvesting meth from trays while Walt watches. Because, you know, they've shown it many times in the episode, but when they cook the meth, it comes out in, like, one solid piece. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, it's like rock candy of sorts. It comes out in one solid piece and they break it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, uh, what's that? P- peanut brittle, but deadly. <laughs>
0: Well, fun fact, the the meth, the prop they used in the show was actually rock candy.
1: No shiznit,
0: that yeah. was awesome. It was just blue rock candy. That's so cool. Yeah. So, so in a way, so, the entire think, series, like, they were just making do candy. Do you think,
1: like, as the show went on, like, they all got, like, slightly fatter because they ate all the candy after the yeah, scene was probably. shot? <laughs> all of a sudden, after one season, Jesse's, like, obese. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Wouldn't that be an interesting? So,
1: um, he wasn't actually inflated in the in the in the lab <laughs> so That was actually his new size.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting like re-release of the series? Is there, if they just change the word meth in the old series to candy, so that he becomes a candy kingpin? Have
1: some candy. <laughs> it's like that's the backstory of Willy Wonka. <laughs> the origin story. Walter Wonka. Ah, I like <laughs> it. Oh my god. Um, this idea is way too cool yeah right I think we need to approach the Weinstein company with this <laughs> um, so yeah getting back to this this guy son of Dave his name is actually Benjamin Darvel, and son of Dave being his stage name he is a or was a Canadian musician and singer-songwriter based in the United Kingdom and was a member of the Grammy nominated folk rock band Crash Test Emmys cool. in which he played harmonica, mandolin, guitar and percussion, hmm. before returning to his sort of blues, beatbox, harmonica-driven solo work in 2000. So okay. he was with the, the, the band Crash Test Dummies, who are pseudo-famous hmm. uh, for pretty much the majority of the 60s and 70s, and then later on in life went and did his own stuff, in starting in 2000, this song being one of them. Cool. Shake a Bone is actually off the title album, Shake a Bone, which is the fifth album of Son of Dave, and was released in 2010. Um, sadly, I don't really have much more on this guy because he's not really. I don't. Um, don't want to say not that interesting because that sounds terrible, but
0: he's just doesn't have too much info. Just, yeah, there's
1: just not a lot, not a lot of info mm-hmm. on the dude. Um,
0: I do. You you were saying that he has like a blues, slash kind of harmonica type style. Yeah, I, I think, You totally hear that in the song. I totally hear that in the song. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, same. I think here. it's pretty cool. I can dig it. I like it.
1: It's pretty crunchy and bluesy that's true so that you listeners can enjoy the crunch we should listen to a little clip of shake a bone by son of dave <laughs> So yeah that was shake a bone by son of dave pretty good cool. very bluesy I like as that you song. said yeah me too i it was one of those ones where i'm like i have no idea who this is but the song is awesome i have to find it yeah there was a couple a lot of songs uh in this series that made me that elicited that emotion from me
0: that's true well that's why these episodes exist because the show has so much good music how could we resist
1: indeed the next artist sadly does not elish- elicit any happy emotions and he makes me sad and that artist is Flavor Flav! Flavor Flav! Cool. Yeah, uh, and his song, Unga Bunga Bunga. <laughs> the song was playing at a house party that Jesse was having. Oh. For some reason.
0: Was this when he was like, he had all the money, but he was really depressed? Yeah. So, he... so he was just sitting there in the party doing nothing? Yeah. And he had all these like people over and it, it a was... lot of money spending?
1: basically like he had all this new money and like new fame because of having money and it it was just showing how none of that was really making him happy
0: yeah because what kind of screwed up his life yeah with candy uh,
1: yeah um so yeah that's the context of that cool. regarding Flavor Flav, his actual name is william jonathan drayton jr uh and he is an american musician and television personality that's a loose term <laughs> who rose to prominence as a member of the hip-hop group Public Enemy. He is known for popularizing the role of the Hype Man, and for yelling, Yeah, yeah, boy! And Flavor Flav! -flav." He
0: yells his own name during During
1: performances. performances. (laughs) Basically, he just runs runs around on stage and yells things at people.
0: (laughs) Kind of like Lil John.
1: Basically. Yeah, you! Now, for those of you that don't know what a Hype Man is, a Hype Man is... A term in hip hop music, where they are a backup rapper and/or singer who supports the primary rappers with exclamations and interjections. Basically, they're so like so. They
0: have there's artists who are that's their thing.
1: Yeah, like when a wow. rapper is rapping, the hype man is the guy behind him, like repeating the line he just said, or oh, <laughs> responding to what he says. <laughs> Basically, he's like a the rapping straight guy hmm. of a comedy duo.
0: I forgot that he was part of Public Enemy as well. Yeah. But he's a performer in his own right, right? Or no? Does he only do stuff like with other people?
1: No, he, um, I was, I was getting that actually, he, Okay. after falling out of the public eye for a number of years, he revived his public notoriety through a series of VH1 reality series, including Surreal Life, Flavor of Love, and Strange Love. So that was pretty awful. That's mostly why I don't like him, because he basically turned into a reality horror.
0: Interesting. So he was the host of three different shows?
1: He wasn't the host, he was a a contestant, whatever. He was a personality, like the the Surreal Life was basically, you know, that that, uh, reality show of real life? Yeah. It's basically that, but with famous people. It's like Uh, celebrity real life. Strange Love was some you know bachelor type dating show and the flavor of love was a bachelor type dating show where he was the bachelor and a bunch of overly attractive women were vying for his flavor flave <laughs> um who wants my flavor flave which is pretty awful because it's basically like a bunch of like overly makeup gold, gold diggers vying for the love of a stroke victim yay <laughs> i love flavor Flav. i love that i'm like totally ripping on him I'm sorry, Flavor. We love you. Uh, so yeah, this particular al- the song, Unga Bunga We Bunga Love Your Bunga, Flavor. <laughs> yes. This particular album that Unga Bunga Bunga is off of is called, you know, Flavor Flav. I guess the album is also <laughs> referred to as Hollywood. So, yeah. <laughs> it's actually his first solo album and the only non-public enemy album made by him. So the album was a production for at least seven years with the oldest track uh, being Hot One, which was first released as a single in 1999 hmm. and the album came out in i believe like 2007 2006. Jeez. wow fun fact that i just happened to catch here that i thought needed to be said okay. in 2011 flav partnered with nick camino to open a restaurant called flav's fried chicken <laughs> in camino's hometown of clinton iowa because hmm. if anyone knows fried chicken it's iowa <laughs> Flave met Camino through his brother, Peter, who is probably you, uh, yeah. who runs Mama Camino's in Las Vegas and Castle Rock Bar in Kingman, Arizona. So obviously his brother owns a couple of restaurants. Um, after enjoying the rapper's homemade fried chicken, Peter Camino began selling chicken wings using Flave's recipe. The founders hoped to start a national restaurant franchise. However, after floundering, haha uh, a mix of bounce checks, bad business, and squabbling, led to Flavor Flav's chicken shutting down after four months of being open.
0: (laughs) Well, that's pretty funny. I
1: seriously wish I could have been around in that hotbed of chicken during that time so I could taste Flavor Flav's Flav.
0: Flavor Flav's Flav chicken. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny, too, partly in the context here, because Gus Fring has his own yes chicken uh Uh restaurant franchise
1: so yeah that's a fun fact about mr flave i wonder if he's actually referred to as mr flave because like his actual last name is like drayton but like Mm -hmm. some like i don't know he has like a like a butler or something he's like mr flave would you like me to pull the car around (laughs) um flavor Flave don't need a car Flavor Flav can fly. <laughs> Do you think he flies by like just spinning the hands of his clock necklace in, like a helicopter, and, they, and, like a helicopter yeah. and he flies by the by the helicopter necklace?
0: Well, you funky <laughs> listeners can uh, imagine that image as you listen to Unga Bunga Bunga by Flavor Flav. Yeah. yeah.
1: Flavor Flav.
0: <laughs> that sounded like a, a helicopter crash, and then he walks <laughs> out of the wreckage saying, Flavor Flav.
1: His clock helicopter crashed, it ran out of batteries. So, um, yeah, that was Flavor Flav. Um, that was interesting. Um, what do we have next, Mr. Peter?
0: coming up next, Mr. Peter, is a song called On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever by The Peddlers, which appeared in Season 5, Episode 3. So, wow, we were already in Season 5. I I guess we only... Oh, that last song was the only one that we chose from Season 4.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: Well, cool. In this episode, actually, more specifically in the scene where this song is played, uh, I didn't remember this until today when I was uh, looking it up. Um, This is when Walt and Jesse start cooking again, I guess after... Uh, they had been taking a break for a while. Oh, because after, here's the thing, because after um, they killed Gus Fring. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. It's always best to say spoiler after you say it. Yeah. Uh, They didn't have a lab anymore in which to make meth. So in the early, I think in the early part of season five, they were trying to oh, figure out yeah, there. Their...
1: This is where they figured out that they could use uh, like termite extermination tents and like the mm-hmm. front of an extermination company. Mm-hmm. And they use this tarp to like contain the methness within the house, mm-hmm. and they just start cooking meth in random people's houses, which is the most ballsy thing ever.
0: Yeah, oh, but man. I guess yeah. I mean, their whole thing was that they, the whole house is covered with the tent or whatever. Once I once I figured that out saying. that
1: that's what they were gonna do, because uh, like Jesse was trying to find like, because remember Jesse found like a uh, what do you call it, like a warehouse, and you know, and uh. Uh, Walt's like, this is too small, this will never do. And then Walt just looks down, and everyone's like, and Jesse's is like, what are you looking at? And it pans down, and you just see like a termination, extermination tarp tent thing. Hmm. And I'm like, no, because I was thinking in my head, like, they're not that stupid. <laughs> and then you just see the next scene is like a bunch of different houses. Like, it's like a fading, oh, yeah. fading cross shots between a bunch of different houses with tarp. Talks yeah. over them and I'm just like, no, they're that stupid.
0: <laughs> that was pretty cool, though. That was
1: so awesome and ballsy.
0: Yeah. What is our They only smell did? Like it, they only did it for one or two episodes.
1: Yeah, they only did it for a little bit. I don't remember they... where
0: they ended up making meth after that. I don't either. Uh, anyway, so regarding the song itself, the Peddlers were a British pop trio in the 1960s and 70s. They formed in Manchester in 1964 as a trio. Of Trevor Morais, Tab Martin, and Roy Phillips. They first rushed the UK singles chart in 1965 with their version of the Teddy Randazzo song, Let the Sunshine In.
1: Hey, we were just talking about that.
0: No, I thought, we. when I first read it, I thought that we were too. But then, uh, the song we talked about was Sunshine On Me, oh. not Let the Sunshine In. But that wow. confused me at first, too. Sad. So, their third album, called Three in a Cell, which was released in 1968, included a version of the song On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever, uh, from the 1965 musical of the same name. And I looked up a little bit about the musical. That was written by Burton Lane and Alan J. Lerner, and concerns a woman who has ESP and has been reincarnated. Um, I didn't read the entire synopsis, but that was like the one-liner, so I don't know what that plays about, but it's kind of an interesting... because I have no idea what's happening. Interesting. The musical was actually most recently revived in the Union Theater in London um, this year and opened to rave reviews with the run ending on the 28th of September of this year, 2013. So that was only two months ago? Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, relevant, kind of. Kind of. So the band, The Peddlers, disbanded in 1976, only 12 years after uh, they first formed. Uh, throughout their career they only released four notable singles and only two of those scratched the UK top 40. They're famous. So they didn't do that great but they do do this song On a Clear Day You Can See Forever which is played during this montage of the Breaking Bad and Pest company front that they were using for meth. So imagine Walt and Jesse making meth in your living room as you listen to this song. And you will see who
1: On a clear day,
0: how it will astound you. That was On a Clear Day You Can See Forever by The Peddlers, which was featured in Breaking Bad Season 5, Episode 3. That's pretty cool. So, what's coming up next, Mr.
1: Kyle? Up next is a song featured only five episodes later. Cool. in Season 5, Episode 8. probably one of the more famous recognizable songs used in the show. Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the most recognizable songs in the whole show.
1: Yeah, recognizable in that it's completely 100% associated with the show because of the title, context, and subject matter being so completely intertwined with this with the concept of their blue meth
0: exactly yeah
1: it's like one of those things where you see a scene and then you see that song play and it's just like the absolute perfect song for that scene yeah this is that this is that song <laughs> uh this is being played during a montage scene of sorts where jesse Walton, mike mike being the old serial killer hit man for hire dude oh yeah. who once worked for gus and now works for walt after Walt well, killed gus spoiler uh <laughs> we already spoiled that yeah so they're all cooking a whole bunch of meth using methylamine that they had just recently obtained in the prior episode stolen from a train which was a very tense episode in and of itself uh yeah so they're just using this just massive amount of methylamine to cook like more meth than they ever cooked on the show before to put out into the i guess meth market um and the song is playing over that scene and it's just perfect perfectly amazing uh, yeah. Regarding the band themselves, Tommy James and the Shand- Shandells are an American rock group whose period of greatest success really kind of came in like the late 60s. They had two number one singles in the U.S., Hanky Panky in
0: 1966
1: and Crimson and Clover in 1968.
0: They should have played Hanky Panky in the show when Hank was sitting on the toilet.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would have been amazing. So along with those two uh, number one singles, they also had 12 other top 40 hits, including five that were in the top 10. One of those being Crystal Blue Perspiration. Yeah. And that was in 1969. And it was actually originally recorded by Tommy James uh, and composed by Eddie Gray, Tommy James, and Mike Vale. The, I guess, smooth-tempoed groove that the song is built around was... Because of a prominent organ that had this sort of understated arrangement more akin to the band The Rascals, who were also around during that same time, than to uh, Tommy James's more contemporary efforts with psychedelic rock. So they kind of stayed with the more popular sound of bands like The Rascals, then going with the psychedelic rock, which at that time wasn't as popular.
0: Well, that's pretty uh, cool. Yeah.
1: Psychedelic rock is more stuff like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Jazz Joplin and those guys. And yeah. Let's um, listen to a little clip of Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shandells and you can imagine pounds and pounds of math piling up in your living room or wherever you're listening. Your car, your office. The bathroom. Who listens to a podcast in the bathroom? Maybe, I don't know. What do you see? The sun is around
0: Definitely A new day is
1: coming Ooh-hoo.
0: We hope you were persuaded by the crystal blue persuasion to that last song. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was almost worse than my segue. Almost. I think you need to pick yourself up after that last one. Speaking That's of true. which, what do we have Speaking next?
0: Speaking of <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> Our next song that we want to talk about is called Pick Yourself Up by Nat King Cole, which is featured in Season 5, Episode 8. The same episode as the one we were just talking about. This is the part of the episode where they have the whole prison massacre, where you may have to fill in with this a bit, but I think they were all these guys in prison that had a claim to some of the money of Gus, I think.
1: Basically, like Mike was keeping the guys in prison quiet and not telling them, Not having them roll over on Walt, but because he was paying them money. And his share of all the money being raised from this massive amount of math... Remember, he started dividing the money up, like, unevenly, where, like, he got half. Mm -hmm. And part of it was for these guys to keep them quiet. And when Walt protested, he was like, Look, I know you're upset about this, but this is the only thing keeping them from rolling over on you. Mm. So, you know, you're just gonna have to deal with it. Walt had a different idea. For dealing with it <laughs> and that was he decided because there was i believe 12 guys in, in different prisons throughout new mexico and he literally orchestrated for all of them to be murdered within a time span of four minutes by these different hitmen of sorts hmm. and yeah. it was like the ultimate heisenberg-esque sort of plot that basically completely solidified his badassery within the underground
0: world of drug dealers and murderers <laughs> Well, it was like an homage to like godfather Oh yeah, well, right? completely. Yeah, so it was kind of a cool scene. I mean, yeah. it was kind of weird, gross too. Because yeah, there was a, bunch a lot of, of people were getting killed and set on fire and stabbed and stuff in prison. So kind of but, um, bad, but it was. I think it was
1: so funny though because that horribly violent scene was underplayed by this uplifting, happy song by Matt yeah. King Cole, which just kind like, of funny was the, was the cherry on top for that scene.
0: Yeah, that's actually that's a good point. The differentiation between kind of the upbeatness of the song and the. <laughs> ju- not quite not darkened. the quite same emotion they yeah, got much darker uh content in the, the scene mm-hmm. kind of funny juxtaposition there oh there's a word for you i i give you kudos i love that word yeah. i never find myself using it enough <laughs> so the song pick yourself up is a popular song composed in 1936 by jerome kerm and lyrics by dorothy fields um it was Written originally for the film *Swing Time* in 1936, uh, where it was introduced by Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Uh, Ginger played a dance instructor whom Fred Astaire followed into her studio, and he pretends to have two left feet in order to get her to dance with him. Uh, and then Fred sings this song to her, and they sing it. They sing and dance together, singing this song. And I guess it's considered one of Fred Astaire's greatest s- song dancing scenes, so that's oh, cool. I can dig it. What's the name of the film where he, like, dances on the ceiling? And don't uh, say Dancing on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie.
1: Dancing... Uh, dancing in the Right... Singing in the Right? No. I, I don't, don't know. think so. I don't remember. Fred Starr dances on the ceiling.
0: Yeah, because they used a set that was rotating, like, of a living room, but it rotated all the way around, and that's how they got... They, that's how they had him dancing on the ceiling, because the whole set was rotating, so he had to kind of follow... The walls and stuff as it was moving, but the camera was moving with the room, so it looked uh, like he was dancing. On the
1: it is from the 1951 movie by MGM, Royal Wedding. Oh, okay. It's a comedy film.
0: Well, I would hope so. Was, I mean, considering he's dancing on the walls and ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> I can no, imagine that it's, in like a it's the, pre- it's the
1: prequel to Inception.
0: <laughs> oh man, I need to watch that movie again. Right. The song, Pick Yourself Up, has been recorded by many famous singers, um, such as Anita O'Day, Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, and Natalie, Natalie Cole. Uh, fun fact, if you don't know, Natalie Cole was a, an R&B slash soul singer in the 70s and is the daughter of Nat King Cole. I have one of her albums. And she sang, This Will Be an Everlasting Love. This will
1: be an everlasting love. Yeah. This will be the one I'm dreaming of. So I, I assume so
0: she re- she recorded the song, I, I assume, a few, probably a few decades after Nat King Cole did it, um, which was her father. So it's kind of cool. Uh, Nat King Cole's rendition of this song was included on his 1962 album Nat King Cole Sings slash George Shearing Plays. And George Shearing being a popular jazz pianist who composed over 300 songs and was blind from birth. It's fun fact.
1: Hey, we should have talked about him when we did Blind People. Dang it. I know. I forgot. didn't even know that.
0: Well, maybe if we find enough, we can do part two of Blind Singers.
1: We should just do, like, deaf singers. Singers with no hands.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to respond to that. <laughs> okay. But we hope you listeners pick yourself up to this next song called Pick Yourself Up by Nat Cole. Just have
1: and start all over again.
0: Nothing's impossible, I have found. For when my chin is
1: on the ground i pick myself up dust myself off and start all over again
0: that was pick yourself up by nat king cole yeah
1: he was king next up we have another song that similar to the prior one it's a it's a lighthearted song underplaying the dramatization and darkness of a certain scene um this is off of season 5 episode 14 ozy mendias which is arguably probably the best episode of the entire series. Oh yeah, a lot that's of, like a the lot climax, of critics, basically. A lot of critics after that episode came out was like, this is the best episode of Breaking Bad we've seen.
0: No, I told you, right, that that was the first episode that my mom ever oh, saw. Oh, yeah, like, that's but... right, and it like
1: <laughs> blew her mind.
0: Yeah, well, because we... <laughs> I've been watching it for a while, and she's been curious, but she hasn't really been into it, because I never figured that she would want to watch it. Yeah. But then she watched it with me that night, and and it ended up being, like, the best episode of the series. That's awesome. So, yeah. Is she going back and
1: watching all the episodes now?
0: She hasn't yet, but I think she wants to. Nice. Nice. Because, yeah, it's a damn good show.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, th- there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this description that I'm going to give, but basically the, I guess, the context of this, I'll try and explain this as quickly as I can because it's kind of involved. Walt stored a lot, all the money that he made from his meth in this giant warehouse, but due to a unfortunate series of events, including Hank, his brother, finding out that he is this giant drug kingpin, he had to move his money, and his idea was to put it in these black barrels, like big oil drums, Mm-hmm. Eight of them, put it in these barrels and buried in the desert, and he wrote down the coordinates on like a lottery ticket or something. He basically had them printed onto a lottery ticket to look like a lottery ticket, which is genius. Yeah. Uh, so he would always know where they are, but he could they couldn't be traced, and the information where that they were wasn't anywhere else. Jesse ends up falling in with Hank out of spite for Walt because Walt completely ruined his life.
0: Yeah.
1: Jesse ended up tricking Walt. Into going to the place where his money was buried by think making him think that he was already there burning the money
0: or like destroying the money. Oh man, I love that scene.
1: And and Walt is just driving there like a madman, like you know, don't do this, Jesse. And then he ends up like yelling at him, like he's like, I saved your life. He gets there, no one's there, but because he's on the phone with Jesse, they trace his phone call to where he's at, so they know that that's where the money is. Yeah. So, Hank shows up with Jesse. Walt's there. Walt ends up calling these neo Nazi guys that he initially wanted to kill Hank, or kill Jesse, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Because he already realized that Jesse basically went AWOL on him. So, these neo Nazi guys, he's like, you know, Jesse's here, you need to come. He ends up changing his mind and being like, no, don't come, because he, he realizes. Hank, yeah, he realizes he's basically screwed. Hank goes to arrest him. The Nazi guys come anyways, even though he told him not to. Huge shootout between the Nazi guys who have a lot of guns and Hank and his, uh, his police partner dude, I forget his name. Gomez. Gomez. Nazi guys overpower Hank. They have Walt. They basically, like, you know, are putting the the one Nazi guy puts a gun to Hank's head. Walt's freaking out, like, don't do this, don't do this, I don't want to do this. And then but one of the best lines ever was Hank looks at Walt because he's basically, like, telling Hank, he's like, you know, he's kind of toying with him, like, you know, oh, should I do this, should I not do this? And, and Walt's just begging the guy, like, don't kill Hank. And Hank looks over at Walt, and he's like, Walt, you're the smartest man I know, but you're blind if you don't realize he made his decision ten minutes ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looks up at the guy, and he's like, he's like, do it, you cowardly mother effer or something. Oh, yeah. And, like, before he finishes his sentence, the guy shoots him in the head. Yeah. Walt is, like, literally crippled with uh, despair. He's crippled with sad. (laughs) And the Nazi guys then, because they're basically complete doucheholes, decide that they're just gonna... Because they, you know, the money, I guess, they know it's there too. They take most of his money and they leave him with one barrel of the eight barrels. So basically, I think it was like $80 million. They left him with ten. Right. Out of some weird sense of charity, I don't know. And then he... He had his car there, because obviously, remember, he drove there. But because of the shootout, his car is riddled with holes. He goes to drive it home, but because the gas tank was shot, it was leaking gas, he runs out of gas. He's just like, shit. So he literally has to take this gigantically heavy barrel of literally $10 million, and he's rolling it through the desert, trying to find someone to help him get back to town. And there's this scene of him just rolling this heavy barrel through the desert. And mind you, at this point, he has cancer... Is coughing and dying, trying to roll this huge thing because he's out of shape and very sickly, and this song, "Take My True Love by the Hand" by the Limelighters, is playing through over the scene, and it's just hilarious, <laughs> because just the mental <laughs> yeah, kind of the mental image of a guy rolling a barrel full of ten million dollars through a, a open desert in yeah. desperation is just brilliant, brilliant filmmaking.
0: Well, see, I think like the, the the initial thought someone would have. Would be oh we should you know put dramatic music here or something something more mellow or depressing Mm -hmm. because it's kind of a sad scene almost Mm -hmm. but I like yeah I do like the decision they made uh, with the song because it kind of made it seem a little bit more Mm lighthearted almost kind of like the early episodes a bit yeah oh yeah and you have a fun fact about that yeah
1: um, fun fact that I actually found out later on remember the first episode when we talked about where Walt killed that guy Crazy Eight Crazy Eight Well, in that episode right after that, he's, like, he starts hearing sirens. He's freaking out. He's like, oh, shoot, like, they know I just killed somebody. He goes, right at that point, he's, like, not wearing any pants, and his pants are hanging out on a clothesline on the side of the RV. He jumps in the RV and floors it and drives away, and in that shot, his pants fly off of the RV and land in the desert. Well, in this scene, when he's rolling this barrel through the desert, he passes this clump of clothing that i later found out was the prop that was his pants (laughs) so it was just this beautiful homage in one of the last episodes of the series back to one of the first episodes in the series
0: yeah that's pretty funny
1: and it's so funny how the um the writer vince gilligan does that so much he like puts in little snippets of prior episodes and future episodes just yeah tie the littlest things together it's really great
0: you know whenever i watch the whole series again um it's gonna be interesting to see how much stuff that they reference later on. Oh, one thing. On.
1: One thing I realized too, uh, in watching some of the older episodes, Jesse's original car is the same model of car that Walt had in one of the last episodes. Remember when he comes back from uh, like Vermont and he has oh, that yeah. Oldsmobile or whatever it was? Yeah. That's the same model that Jesse had in the early in the first season. That's funny. And it's I think it's this, even the same color, if not very similar color.
0: Oh, and then uh, Jesse drives away mm-hmm. and stuff, and that—that's yeah, yeah, kind of exactly.
1: So that was just little stuff like that. That's just like, oh my god, that blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, getting back to the actual song, because I could talk about this show all day. And we are. Yeah, basically, take my True love by the hand by the limelighters The limelighters were an American folk music group formed in July 1959 by Lou Gott, the Alex and and Glen Yarbar. Why do they all have really weird names? Because they're weird. I don't know. They sound oh, okay. Eastern European. Uh, the group was active from 1959 until 1965 when they disbanded. After a hiatus of six...
0: <laughs> they were active until they disbanded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Sorry, that just sounded funny. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, what's funny is after 16 years after that, after 1965, so what, 19s? 19... Eighty-one Harbor, Hasselov and Gottlieb reunited and began performing as the Limelighters again mm. in reunion tours with the three original members. Then the Limelighters, I guess, during that period were still active and performing. But sadly, for a long period of time throughout the eighties and nineties, but sadly Gottlieb died in nineteen ninety-six. Harb Harb Yarbar Erber, um, <laughs> left the group in the mid-eighties, and Hasselov ended up retiring. He was him being the last founding member of the group, mm. so the group that was left over to carry on that namesake was no none of the original members it was all new Mm. people but i guess that name the limelighters has been carrying on as a group of sorts for the last 50 years this this song however was recorded during their original or initial success between the i guess in the early to mid 60s uh they're basically like that sort of like soft smooth country groups that were really popular in the early 60s they sound kind of like that sort of like early 50s like ink spots type country stuff if that makes any sense yeah like harmonic country yeah so that because that was huge back then i don't know it was almost like it was like doo meets country i don't even know how to describe it but
0: no that's a good way to put it
1: but the song is just awesome and i actually want to find these guys on vinyl or something because it would just be great to have that song yeah well like while i smoke meth <laughs> i don't actually smoke meth drugs are bad kids don't do drugs
0: you can um, smoke candy
1: Yeah, you can eat all the rock candy you want. Just don't do math. (laughs) Let's listen to a little clip of Take My True Love by the Hand by the Limelighters. And you can take your true love by the hand as you listen. (laughs) Times are
0: getting hard, boys. Money's getting scarce. Times don't get no better, boys. Gonna leave this place. Take my true love by the hand That was Take My True Love by the Hand by the Limelighters. That was a pretty good song. Yeah, yeah. And as Kyle was saying earlier, um that was played in season five, episode fourteen, which is two episodes before the end of the entire series. And the last song that we want to talk about in this two part thing is played at the very, very end of the entire series. I don't it's think s- I
1: don't think we should spoil this. Just Why? in case. Just, we
0: been spoiling everything. Because
1: this whole I don't know it feels. It Does feels, it feel wrong? It feels wrong to spoil it so soon after it aired.
0: Okay. Uh, and well, maybe, I can and, respect that. And maybe
1: people like who are caught up to, in a certain degree haven't watched the final episode yet for whatever reason.
0: Okay. Well, so we, we get can just
1: say it's the, it's played in the last scene.
0: Okay, we'll just say that. If you have seen it, you will know how memorable that scene is, and yeah. also this song being featured in the scene. Uh, if you haven't seen it, we encourage you to, and we will respect your wishes of not knowing the end, I guess. Yay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so mostly, song...
1: mostly I really just did that to speed up this episode, because it's going on.
0: Oh, well, that's a <laughs> that's a good reason too. So the song is Baby Blue by Badfinger. Badfinger were a British rock band popular throughout the 1960s. Uh, they were actually signed to the Beatles' Apple label in 1968, originally as the Ivys. In the next year, in 1969, they adopted the name Badfinger. So the group had four consecutive worldwide hits from 1970 to 72, Come and Get It, which was written and produced by Paul McCartney of the Beatles, No Matter What, Day After Day, and the song Baby Blue. Baby Blue was recorded for the 1971 album Straight Up. Kind of interesting, the single, when it was released as a single, it kind of represented a disconnect among the international offices of the Apple label. For the US side of the label, Um, Al Steckler, who was the head of Apple US, felt that it needed a stronger hook in the opening, because I guess he felt like it didn't really have the formula of a hit song. Um, So he and engineer, uh, sound engineer Eddie Kramer remixed the track in 1972, and this led to it actually becoming a relatively modest hit at number 14 on the Billboard Pop Singles chart. Um, On the other hand, the folks at Apple UK remained unaware of the song's uh, commercial potential, and they didn't make any modification to the song, so it was it actually never released as a UK single. Huh. So it had no chance of being popular in its own right, I guess. Mm. So, kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, stupid UK people don't know their don't know their songs.
0: This is a really good song. Yeah, and I think it really accentuates the scene and the end of the the series.
1: Indeed, it's like the perfect kind of cool. capper to the perfect series.
0: Yeah. Well, whether or not you have seen uh, that last scene featuring the song Baby Blue by Badfinger, uh, we're going to listen to a clip of it so that you can...
1: So that you can make your baby blue. Sure. (laughs)
0: Special love That was Baby Blue by Badfinger. That's a good song. And we love it. And we also love Breaking Bad. And we're sad that it's over, but... Yeah. I am really glad... I mean, because this is an example of a show where... I think they ended it... it never... At the perfect moment. It never jumped
1: the shark. It never went on too yeah. long. I hate when shows that are good just go on for like a season or two too long. And they just run out of steam.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like this song... This song. I feel like this show was so story-driven yeah, yeah. that they they ended it now because they knew this is when the story ended you know what's you know, you know what's
1: so awesome I remember this this I guess statistical factoid mm. the, the night that this final episode aired was the same night as the Emmys more people watched this episode than they watched the Emmys <laughs> that's that's cool. how powerful this show is
0: yeah the power of meth.
1: <laughs> Um but yeah, for, that's you, cool. for fans of the show and fans of Vince Gilligan's writing you will be happy to know they are in talks to do a spin off called Better Call Saul. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Featuring. I'm. I don't,
1: I'm, I'm reservedly optimistic.
0: That's a good way to put it, yeah. Vince I mean, Gilligan I, I is trust an amazing Vince writer. Gilligan. You know, he after... did X Files?
1: Hmm? You know, he also wrote X Files. Really? That's, that's where he got his fame. And that show I was, did not know that. That show was like the Breaking Bad of the 90s. Everybody watched that show. Huh. My dad loved that show. That's cool. And he's, like, really picky about shows. Yeah, that was, like, the break. uh, That and NYPD Blue were, like...
0: Hmm.
1: NYPD Blue was, like, the wire of the 90s. Breaking (laughs) Bad was, like... Or, I'm sorry, uh, X-Files was, like, the Breaking Bad of the 90s, except for instead of drugs, it was aliens.
0: Hmm. Cool.
1: So, yeah. Anyways, so, yeah, that was, I guess, this is the capper of our two-part episode called Funking Bad, or whatever the hell we (laughs) want to call it.
0: Yeah. I'm glad we were able to do this because of how much we loved the show and all of the great music that they played yeah, um, throughout it. So it was pretty fun talking about this and kind of reminiscing about uh, some of the episodes. <laughs> and we apologize to our listeners for the moments in the early episodes of the show where we basically didn't remember what was going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as much as we like the show, it's really hard to remember an episode you watched like three or four years ago. Yeah. We tried our best.
0: Well, personally, uh, I binged uh, last summer with the first four seasons on oh, that
1: Oh, I... I'm one of the couple of people that actually, I think I started actually watching it around the second season, like, as they heard. Mm. So, cool. I am a true fan, Peter. Y- yeah, you are. I'm not a I didn't band, start watching
0: a, it on TV until season five. I'm not a meth wagoner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Meth-wagoner>. <laughs> everyone,
1: everyone get on the meth wagon. Yay! Yeah, if you liked this and other episodes of ours, you should follow us on MethBook. MethBook. God. Um, at <laughs> methbook.com slash getyourmeth. Uh, where we do not sell meth, but we sell funk and funk accessories.
0: <laughs> um, more accurately, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com getyourfunk. We've already mentioned a couple times in this episode to tell us things on Facebook. So uh, if you have any comments about either songs that you like that we didn't talk about uh, in the show or whatever, we always welcome you to come chat with us on Facebook. This is also where we post the episodes and playlists of the songs. And other cool links and stuff as well. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. We are called Funk Radio, obviously. And we're on to the podcast section. And that's pretty much it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So we thank you for tuning in to Funk Radio once again. And we hope to hear you again next time. Well, actually, we will not be hearing you at all. <laughs> um, that's really not accurate. <laughs> so, we hope you hear us I, again next time. I heard
1: millions of voices crying out and then
0: silenced. <laughs> Star Wars reference. We hope you listen to us again next time. <laughs> come back again anytime. Yeah. This has been your host, Peter.
1: And this has been your host, Kyle.
0: Y'all come back now, here? Oh, we will. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.